and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me this week is everyone's favorite metahuman, Sean. That's not my name. Oh, who I, are you? I'm Reverse Sean. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> well, this week we watched The Flash, the story of crime scene investigator Barry Allen and the freak accident that transformed him into the world's fastest superhero. Yes, one of my favorite shows on TV now. It's very good. It really yeah. is. You know, we had the episode, what was it, about a year ago, Scott, with um, Arrow? Mm-hmm. And there was some mixed feelings about Arrow, but I, mm. I'm sad that Lily's not on this evening because um, I know she's indisposed. Yes. But I, I think that she would agree that this is a much better series. I don't say much better than Arrow, but definitely different than Arrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... It, the ratings and the popularity of it really show that it's it's beloved by the fans and by it's really helped CW and Arrow, I think, in the long run. You know. Yeah, it's it's all part of that shared universe. Uh, we, the episode that we watched, it's the uh, the first episode, simply entitled "Pilot." Of course, it was written by Greg Berlanti, Andrew Kreisberg, and Jeff Johns. And uh, Berlanti and Kreisberg they created Arrow, uh, also Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. So it's all part of that that shared universe. I guess there was that Flash Supergirl crossover not too long ago, but there was some reason why it's not quite a shared universe, right? It was like from another dimension or something. I, I didn't see it. You know, yeah, it's funny you say that because I just watched that episode. I, I'm caught up with my Flash episodes. And just to let the listeners know that right, as of right now, Flash is finished with season two. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing season three will start sometime in the fall. And Supergirl, if you don't know the backstory, is a, or was a CBS show, which is bizarre. CW basically has all of the DC properties wrapped up, as we know, with Arrow and with uh, The Flash now and Legends of Tomorrow um, and all those characters. So it was kind of bizarre that Supergirl came out on CBS. And, you know, CBS is a lot more aware of ratings and will can a show, I think, a lot faster than CW will. Yeah. I like Supergirl, too. I can go on a Supergirl rant, but I think it's a good show on its own. But anyway, there was that crossover that really helped Supergirl's ratings quite a bit. Um, It was back in March or April, I believe, and near the end of the Supergirl season. So I just watched that uh, this past week, actually, on Catching Up with Supergirl. And it really, it was a decent episode. Flash was in it, but I think it's, like you said, it's very interesting that, you know, I could see him crossing shows because the CW shows do that a lot, the DC Universe, but the cross networks was very interesting also. So I don't know exactly where it falls into the Flash timeline. I wish I did. But basically, like you said, I'm not sure how they're going to rectify, I have an idea how they're going to rectify this, but basically they, they made it so that Supergirl is in a different universe, like a different Earth, mm. the multiverse. So the Flash, not the spoilers, anybody who hasn't seen it yet, ends up in Supergirl's universe, doing air quotes, and she, you know, he has to help her, and she has to help him get back to his universe, and it, it corresponds to the Flash plotline of the last season, mm-hmm. where he is going between universes, Earth 2 and the Earth Prime, So I'm not, but I'm not sure which episode it falls in between. Anyway, it's it's weird. I thought it was strange because 
when the Flash met Supergirl, he was very surprised and never heard of Superman or Supergirl, of course. Had no idea that they even existed. Which is interesting because you think even maybe in Flash's universe, Clark Kent hasn't become Superman yet or, or something of that nature. We mm-hmm. assume he exists or maybe the timeline is behind in some way or something. Yeah. As we get through the episode, I'll, near the end, I'll, I'll kind of express my theory of what they're going to do. Um, to try to combine this, because as we know, or you might have heard, Supergirl is going to be on the CW next season. Yeah, they moved it over. Yeah, CBS basically, you know, was probably going to can it, because the ratings were decent, but they weren't up to their level, and CW basically, I think, either purchased the rights to the show or or purchased the show itself, which is a smart move, I think, for them, because now they're going to have it on the CW and be able to combine and do crossovers with the universes, so... Which is a common thing that they're doing between the other DC shows. I'm talking about Arrow. Arrow has appeared on The Flash numerous times and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Actually, before the pilot of The Flash came out, I don't think too far before, Barry Allen, before he was The Flash, before the accident that's shown in this episode, the pilot, he did make a little, you know, he actually was a big part of one episode of Arrow yeah. as Barry Allen, where he met Felicity and, you know, like kind of like a little love interest there going on. And also, same with some of the um, criminals and some of the characters from DC Legends of Tomorrow, which is another good show, also appear on The Flash and vice versa. So I like how they're tying all that together. Yeah, it's all combined. And it, you would hope that the movies would, would use some of these characters and, you know, this great universe that they're building here. But uh, it seems as though that's going to be completely separate from all of this stuff. Yeah, you know, and that's a great disappointment to me. I don't understand. I guess it's just contractual stuff. But I, we have our our disagreements. So you haven't seen Batman versus Superman yet. No, not yet. And I, like we talked about, me and you privately, I've enjoyed it quite a bit when I saw it. I know the the critics didn't say that. <laughs> they enjoyed it, and I disagree with them wholeheartedly about that. I thought it was really good. But again, one of the disappointing things that, like you just mentioned, I wish because spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Batman versus Superman. And I, I think it's pretty common knowledge. There is a scene where, you know, the Flash is shown for a brief second. Building up to the whole Justice League movie, which is yeah. the next one. The Flash on the uh, Batman versus Superman is not Brant Gustin, who is the Flash on, of course, the Flash TV show. Which is disappointing to me. I wish they would have used the same actor. He does yeah. a great job with the character. I don't know why he could, they couldn't convince him. I'm sure they could have e- very easily to be the Flash in the movie. So it's just bizarre. I don't understand their mindset. It's kind of like the whole X-Men with Quicksilver. Avengers is what I'm thinking of. And why it's not the same char- same same character, different actor, bizarre, but it's all about, you know, who owns the rights of things. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I just am disappointed in that. I think it would have really rounded things off quite a bit if they had used the same characters in the same universe, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, but you're talking about, like, ratings with, with Supergirl. This pilot episode of The Flash... It, uh, it premiered on the CW October 7th, 2014, to an audience of 4.83 million people. Yeah, that's huge. Not necessarily one of your major broadcast networks, kind of like a, on a second tier there, but still, got uh, big numbers, and the ratings have been great, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think it was very much anticipated before it came out. I know that whatever trailers and posters that came out with before it premiered were very intriguing and i think people were really excited about it whatever people might say about arrow it's been very popular and has had a huge run yeah so i think they were really hoping it would you know build on that which it has 
I think in some ways has surpassed it. It's definitely a different kind of show than Arrow. I think one of the things we talked about in the Arrow episode, if I remember correctly, was that Arrow is is very dark compared to what you would think of as, well, first of all, the Green Arrow in the comics, and you know, where he's using a, a punching boxing glove, fist and his arrow to knock out criminals compared to <laughs> the very dark, you know, with murder criminals in, in Arrow. Mm-hmm. Where the Flash is just very much lighter and it's more, you know, comic booky compared to uh, Arrow. Now, before we we begin, we we should mention too that uh, there there's a little confusion with the character of the Flash when you go back to the comics. There there's a couple of different characters that use this Flash moniker. Uh, there's the original Flash. That's the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick. You might have seen him. He's the guy with the uh, the metal helmet almost with the the lightning bolts coming off of it. He made his debut in Flash Comics number 1, January 1940. Now, the Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen, who is the Flash in the TV series, uh, he made his debut later on in Showcase number 4, October 1956. Beyond that, there's uh, Barry's nephew that came later, Wally West. He was the original Kid Flash. He made his debut as the original Kid Flash in... The Flash number 110, December 1959. And uh, later on in March 1986, he became the third Flash in the uh, the comic book Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12. And then uh, if you really want to get convoluted here, the, there's a fourth Flash, Bart Allen, previously the second Kid Flash, as well as the superhero Impulse. And I think he's Barry Allen's grandson. Yeah. And he's like a descendant of, it's basically they created this crazy family tree of Barry Allen and there's some thorns in there or something. It's crazy. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with that character, but there, there is actually a fourth Flash as well. Yeah, the Flash, because of the of the long history, like you said, starting in 1940 from Flash Comics and which eventually merged into be the form DC, because mm-hmm. it had that prehistory before DC. I think his character, you know, a lot of the other characters like the Green Lantern and I think even the Green Arrow to a point, and, and kind of Superman, I'll be honest with you, you know, had this pre-Golden Age history, which has been explained away by the multiverse, which we'll talk about in a bit. And that's how they kind of justified having all these backstories and all these different flashes and things. But I think the Flash's character has gone through the biggest transformation because it's actually changed people. Uh, like you said, Jay Garrick started off as, you know, the first Flash. Um, and then you found out after they did the whole multiverse thing that he was actually the Flash of Earth 2. But his character is a huge transformation. Whereas Superman has always kind of been Clark Kent and the backstory's changed a little bit here and there. But the premise of the character has basically been the same. Whereas this has jumped around quite a bit. I think the most recognizable Flash is the Barry Allen Flash. Because yeah. I, I think it had the biggest run with DC. It was the Flash that was in all, you know, basically the Justice League comics since it started. And so when people think Flash, most of the time they think Barry Allen. But like you said, yeah, Wally West and, you know, Bar Allen, they're in all different comic series also, like the Teen Titans and, uh, of course, the Justice League, and they're all over the place. So it it's definitely is confusing. Who's, yes. who's related to who, and then you have all the, again, the multiverse stuff which re- reverts things back and forth. It's very bizarre. I am happy to say, though, that the first character you see in the first Justice League comic book is Barry Allen, or The Flash. Oh, really? He's the, the first one you yep, see there. In the premiere issue of the Justice League, he is the first character that, you know, it's basically the story is based around him in that first story of uh, Justice League number one. 
with that terrible cover of them playing chess. Yeah, that's where that whole yeah, that <laughs> how exciting. <laughs> well, it's, it's the whole story is this yeah this being I forgot what his name is Despero. Despero, yes, yeah. Despero. Thank you. It's playing you know chess basically with or a game with Barry Allen to try because he captures the rest of the Justice League and Barry's the only one that escaped I guess you can say or, or found out what's going on before he was captured. So <laughs> that's how he's the the main character in that story. Yeah. Well, fortunately, they keep things simple here, so as convoluted as the the history of The Flash is, we're just dealing with Barry Allen here, at least for now. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there is a Wally Lest as you go deeper in the show, and it's, it's pretty obvious to see when you see some of the characters, what their names are in this episode, that yeah. you know, they're named West, so as we'll get into in a minute. It, it will get complicated, but they start you off pretty simple, which is good. I'm not... A, uh, a real DC reader, so this was good for me, a good entry point for me to get into this as well. So uh, let's get right into this show. Uh, we begin by being personally introduced in voiceover to Barry Allen, played by Grant Gustin, who describes himself as the fastest person alive. We're given the view of city streets as this red flash streaks from one place to another. Uh, we then flash back to 14 years previous where a young Barry Allen is trying to run from a group of bullies. Uh, like, even as a kid, he's dressed all in red here. So yeah. That was pretty funny. And uh, unfortunately, they do catch up with him. They start beating him up. Uh, we cut to later on in his house, and Barry's mother, Nora, tells him that it's better to have a good heart than fast legs. And we next see Barry's father, Henry, played by John, John Wesley Shipp. Wesley Shipp. <laughs> he comes home, and he learns that Barry was involved in a fight. And he calls him Slugger, and he asks if he won. Now, uh, Sean, what's notable about the actor John Wesley Shipp? Well, he is he is quite a character. Well, John Wesley Shipp is, he was also a Flash. Yes. <laughs> in the 1990 Flash, short-lived Flash series. I think it lasted a season or so, if I remember correctly. Yeah, at le- I think at least a season. I, I never heard of it, to be honest with you, until I, I started reading about John Wesley Shipp. <laughs> um... But he is—he uh, was the Flash. He played uh, Barry Allen in that TV show back in the '90s. It wasn't bad. My—I used to sleep over at my friend's house, you know, and, and my friends would rent the Flash movie, as they would call it, from their local blockbuster. So we would get this Flash movie. I always thought there was a Flash movie. Yeah. Uh, years later, I found out no, it was the pilot episode of this John Wesley Ship series that they would rent from Blockbuster. Evidently, you could rent this thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It's funny, too, because he had, John Wesley Shipp has, you know, had a pretty decent career, and now he plays, of course, um, it's, this isn't a, just a one-time appearance of Barry Allen's father. No. In the pilot, he, he's throughout the entire series, if you watch the Flash series, and he is a reoccurring character, and now we're done with the second season, he's, I don't know if he's going to be, what his role's going to be, but he was also on, on Guiding Light, he was uh, a, a big um, soap opera actor. Yeah. Um, in the early 80s and mid-80s, Guiding Light and As the World Turns, and from like 80 to 86. And also, you might remember him from Dawson's Creek. I, I don't, but I, I know he was on it. He was on Dawson's Creek, if you watch Dawson's Creek. If you're like me and you're a big listener of The the Best Show with Tom Sharpling, you'll know that uh, the, the uh, formerly reoccurring caller, Spike, uh, was very much a fan of John Wesley Shipp. So much so that there was even a, a John Wesley Shipp song. That uh, was played at one point during one of Tom's marathons on WFMU. So, yeah, that's uh, for fans of the best show. 
Yeah, John Wesley Ship has a, another meaning as well, which is pretty funny. We saw him at uh, the Comic-Con, uh, actually a terrific con we went to last year. Yes. Uh, which we had a, an episode about. I am planning to hopefully get his autograph or meet him this year when we go in August. Just because I, I really, you know, back then... I was just starting to watch The Flash. I didn't really know who he was. I knew he's in, you know, as a background character, but now he's taken more of a prominent role. I'm not going to go and give spoilers about the second season of The Flash. No. But he has taken a more prominent role in the series, so I would be interested in, in talking to him and just getting his his handshake and his autograph if possible. I will be tweeting him out and, and asking him to listen to this episode. Thank you, Mister Ship, for your fine work. I look forward to seeing you in August. <laughs> So another, before we continue on, an interesting, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but just to bring it up, the location of The Flash, this is actually Central City. Interestingly, it has a pretty definite location of where it's supposed to be in the real United States, if it was Mm -hmm. a real city. Whereas, you know, Gotham City and Metropolis, it's kind of vague where they're located, but it's it's very much noted that um, Central City is in Missouri, and it is actually a, a, a twin city with Keystone City. Yeah. Which is in Kansas. Basically, the border of Missouri and Kansas is that river that goes between the two cities, which I thought was pretty interesting. And Keystone City is unique. It's not really mentioned that much, maybe once or twice in the show. But in the DC Universe, it's the home of Jay Garrick and yeah. Wally West. So just to give you kind of a location, they never mention Missouri in the show or where it's located, but that's where it's pretty well known where it's located. Yeah, it's it's rare, like you said, for a, for a DC comics city to actually have a real location unlike marvel comics where spider-man you know is in new york and the x-men are in westchester and you know that's very very specific uh sometimes there's dc maps that have come out some of them vary you know but they they try to put them in real locations i I looked up some more about uh, keystone city and and star city and uh, i guess keystone city was more of dc's blue collar center of industry yeah and they also have had it located in Pennsylvania, and then later Ohio, and then like Kansas. Yes. So it's kind of moved around a little bit. That's moved and around a bit, yeah. There's even one comic story where the Flash builds a bridge between Keystone City, Kansas, and Central City, Missouri. So we do know that these two are only a river across from each other. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're very close. They're definitely twin cities. Yeah. It's interesting to look up at that, because especially the Metropolis, Gotham City, that's one, another one that's been, you know, I think in the latest movie, Batman vs. Superman, actually, they're supposed to be right next to each other, like twin cities also. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and they, I think, you know, Metropolis is supposed to be like New York City. I think that's pretty obvious, or in that general area. Mm-hmm. Gotham has moved around quite a bit. I've heard, like, New Jersey, Gotham's supposed to be in, to... Uh, my favorite one is Connecticut, since that's where I'm from. <laughs> I always like to picture that Gotham is in Connecticut somewhere. But yeah, they, they definitely don't use real-world locations. They do reference real-world cities, like Los Angeles and New York, but they don't... Yeah. You know, these other ones that kind of plop somewhere on the map near those cities and are as major as those other big cities. So I've always heard, too, that Metropolis is like New York City during the day and Gotham is like New York City during the night. Yes, yeah, that's, kind the, of that's a, the whole big thing. A neat way of thinking about it, even though it doesn't help you with locations. Yeah. Another thing in this episode, before we even get into the scene we're in now, we are talking about when the Flash is running through the city, we get that intro where he says, my name is Barry Allen and I'm the fastest man alive. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a little uh, spoiler because that's basically what happens in all the Flash. That's how he begins the issue of the oh, comics. Okay. Is you get that little, my name is Barry Allen, I'm the fastest man alive text box. So it's just a little nod to the comics. That's awesome. Yeah, and as yeah. we go through this, there is a ton of comic references in here, which is so great. Yeah, it's really good. 
All right, so back to uh, the young Barry Allen at home. We see later that night, there's strange things happening all around the house. There, there's red and yellow flashes swirling around the living room. And young Barry wakes up to see that the, the water is kind of floating up and out of his fish tank. Kind of like zero gravity. Yeah. And he goes downstairs to see his mother being trapped by these swirling flashes. They're, they're going all around her and she's kind of just stuck there, kind of crouched down and crying. His father comes in and tells him to run. And the next thing Barry knows, he's down the street trying to run away. Yeah, he was, and you could see the flashes going around him. And he, he's a ways away once he, he appears back and he's running towards his house. Yeah. I love the way they did this, how they started off this series in this episode by putting that, you know, mystery out there right now. Like, okay, obviously you kind of get the idea this is probably a speedster of some kind, but who is it? You know, what's their motivation? How is this fixed into Barry's life mm-hmm. in the future? And some of the variations do include his mother, as we'll talk about in a second, being killed and him wanting to fix that from ever happening um, with his power. So uh, just a nice way you could see that this is going to be an ongoing th- thing throughout the entire series or the entire season. So it's always in the back of your mind, like how are they going to resolve this as they continue on? So from here, we next cut to present day where Barry Allen, now in his 20s, he's running down a city street carrying a case. Uh, nearby, we see police in front of a crime scene at a bank. Uh, one detective, Joe West, played by Law & Order's Jesse L. Martin, tells the other detective, Fred Shire, that the bank teller ID'd a man named Clyde Martin, one of the uh, criminal group known as the Martin Brothers. And Clyde evidently was the shooter in this crime. Uh, They stole money, they shot out the cameras, and they killed a security guard. Uh, Captain David Singh asked if CSI has arrived yet, and Joe West says no. And so we cut back to Barry Allen still heading over as fast as he can. He's not super powered yet, and he's bumping into people along the way. Barry finally makes it to the crime scene, and Singh asks what excuse he has this time for being late. Uh, Last time, I guess it was car trouble, even though he doesn't own a car. And uh, Joe steps in, trying to cover for him. He says, well, you know, he was running an errand for me. Uh, Do you have what I asked for? And, you know, Barry is, like, trying his best to play along, and he's digging through his pockets, and he only finds, like, half of a chocolate bar. (laughs) Gives that to him, yeah. That was pretty funny. I got hungry. It's uh, interesting to note, too, another little Easter egg that these two police officers, besides Joe West, seeing in the other one whose name, I know his first name is Fred. Chire. Chire, yes. Are both in the comics. They're direct characters from the um, comic book series. Yeah. Joe West was created specifically for the Flash TV show. Now, Barry gets down to the crime scene to examine whatever evidence he can find. And here we get a clever use of effects uh, as we see the calculations and observances that Barry is making in his mind. You know, you're, you're seeing the, uh, the measurements of the tire tracks and its asymmetrical treads. The calculations that he's making in his mind, we're seeing a visual representation of, which is kind of a, a neat thing. Yeah, and they're, they're definitely showing that he is good at what he does. He's not just this late guy who's, you know, who's just running around and kind of like a buffoon, but he's actually a very good CSI technician. It did almost like a Sherlock, if you ever watch Sherlock type effect there, where they show yeah. his thoughts laid over the scene. It's a little more background on, on Barry Allen. He's able to figure out pretty quickly, you know, where this came from and what, what kind of car to look for. Yeah, it's a Mustang Shelby GT500. They, they have a rear super wide tire specific to that model. And uh, Joe just writes down these notes as, as Barry's rattling them off and sm- he's smiling. 
So uh, Barry also notices something very curious. There's some animal feces, which of course he uses Fred's pen yeah, to place guy. in an evidence bag. <laughs> it says his father gave it to him before he died. <laughs> So from here, we next cut to the Central City Police Station, where Barry is looking at pictures of the Martin brothers on his computer. Uh, just then, a girl named Iris, played by Candace Patton, walks in, telling Barry that she is ready to see the Atom Smasher smashing. And uh, Iris West, she's from the comics as well. Yes. So evidently, there's going to be uh, an Atom Smasher at Star Labs uh, being fired up that night, and uh, she's going to go with Barry to see it. Uh, Barry tells her that there had been a shooting today, and uh, her father had asked him to process some evidence, so he doesn't know if they're going to make it. So we learn here that Iris's last name is West, and she is the daughter of Joe West, who we had just been introduced to earlier. And of course, there's a, a long, convoluted history getting back into it with Iris West, but we won't get into it just quite yet. Yeah. Wikipedia, if you're interested. <laughs> So Iris tells Barry that she canceled a date for this, and seeing the Atom Smasher finally being activated is one of his dreams. So she asks what's so important about this particle accelerator anyway. And so Barry now gets into a little more backstory about it. He tells her that uh, Harrison Wells's work in quantum theory is light years ahead of anything at CERN. And CERN, of course, is real. It's the European Organization for Nuclear Research. That's the uh, real-life particle accelerator that yes. found evidence of the Higgs boson a few years ago. So Iris doesn't quite understand, so Barry draws her a diagram. He, he draws a dot to represent everything that the human race has learned up to this point. He then draws a large circle around that, saying that this is everything we could learn from the particle accelerator. So Iris tells him that, well, he just needs to find a girlfriend. Now, Joe enters the room just as Barry's analysis of the crime is finished... Barry tells him that he believes that the Martin brothers are hiding out on a farm. Because remember, he found animal feces there. And that cow manure that was stuck in the tire tracks contains an antibiotic that's used in animal feed. And there's only four local farms that still use it. So again, going back to Barry being pretty good at his job. Yeah, even without his superpowers. Yeah. So since Barry was able to give Joe a lead with plenty of time to spare, Iris convinces him to let her and Barry go to Star Labs to see the Atom Smasher. So we next cut to an aerial shot of Central City at dusk, where this huge stadium-sized Star Labs facility is seen on the banks of the river. And this is kind of like our first idea of uh, Keystone and Star Cities being across the river from each other. Yeah. It's like a, a shot of the Twin Cities here. You would kind of wonder how they would able be able to um, build this uh, uh, particle accelerator right in the middle of a city. You'd think that would be a, a permanent nightmare, but apparently Harrison Wells has some pull yes. to get that build. You know, usually, um, as we can see as the shot continues, and it shows a crowd around the um, introduction to the uh, particle accelerator presentation, there are protesters there yes. who are against the Park Oak Cellar being there. So you would think that they would have a really tough time. It would have to be out in the outskirts somewhere, like I believe CERN is. I think CERN is actually kind of in the middle of nowhere, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like one of the signs calls it Death Star Labs. Yeah. Slight Star Wars reference there. As they walk in together, Iris is asking Barry how his trip to Starling City was. 
uh, if he found proof of the impossible or if he was just making her dad mad for no reason. This, is, I guess, is in reference to the Barry Allen episodes of CW's The Arrow. Yeah, so that episode of Arrow was a few weeks before this um, or maybe even a week before this premiered. So just to keep everything fresh in everyone's mind that he was in Starling City to not only help the investigation in Arrow, but also to research his own weird board of things, as we can see later on. Anyway, Barry tells her that while he was away, he thought a lot about relationships and, you know, how both he and Iris are single and that they are best friends. And Iris says to Barry that even though they pretty much grew up in the same house and are very much like brother and sister, she doesn't want him to feel awkward about talking to her about girls, adding that there's nothing more that she wants for him than for him to meet the right person. Yeah. So, like, Barry's like, uh, and he just smiles and just kind of says, took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. There is a, a love interest angle here, too. Yeah. We get the idea, too, that Joe West is just more than Barry's boss. You know, he's he's almost like a, a brother to his daughter. And so it's almost like a, a stepfather, you know, like an adoptive father, basically. You know, yeah. he lived with them after, uh, the, you know, the incident at his house. And after this, as the series continues, you see more of that relationship and how it developed, too, so... So the, uh, the crowd at Star Labs begins to applaud as Harrison Wells, played here by Tom Cavanaugh, takes to the stage and he tells them that tonight the future begins. And Wells hopes that what begins tonight will change their understanding of physics and bring about advancements in power, medicine, saying that the future will be there faster than they think. Get it? Faster? Yeah, <laughs> Not too obvious. No. Now, just then, someone in the crowd steals Iris's laptop, which contains the dissertation she's been working on. So Barry runs after the thief, and he's stumbling and panting along the way. Uh, as he rounds a corner, the kid that stole the laptop smacks him with the bag, knocking him to the ground. And Barry's trying to reason with him, but it's no use. The kid just jabs him in the gut with it and runs away. Uh, as he scales a fence, he finds himself confronted by police detective Eddie Thawne with his gun drawn. Yeah. So back at the police department, after we, we see Barry kind of attending to his bloody nose, as he tells Iris that Eddie is a transfer from Keystone City. Oh, so there was a Keystone reference. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. 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 Doesn't think much of him. It's kind of, you know, I think she calls him a pretty boy at one point or something of that nature. You know, so not too impressed with him at this point. Interesting thing was that of all the people in the crowd, the, the, the thief grabs her laptop. Yeah. Which is kind of bizarre. You know, they're all standing there listening to this presentation. The thief will take the opportunity to go and, and snag hers, you know. Yeah, it's strange. Um, I thought maybe there was something more to this, but I guess it was just to introduce us to the character of Eddie Thon. Yeah. I, I almost think it would have been, my one criticism, more appropriate if they were kind of somewhere else, like walking on an alley near the park accelerator. But it seems like it's a weird place, mm. you know, for this this thief to be so yeah i'm only a kind of a casual dc reader but even i knew that thawne kind of raises some red flags hearing that last name yeah yeah if you, if you had any knowledge of and i actually didn't have as much as i wish i had before i started watching this and about the flash but now i i've educated myself yeah the last name would definitely like you said has some red lights going off there yeah it's significant in some way just yeah. we don't know in what way yet uh, so, yeah, Iris, she kind of feels as though Eddie's just kind of full of himself. And, you know, he's all bragging, even though he just caught a simple mugger, you know. And he's a guy that kind of keeps scores of his arrests. Yes. So, kind of a jerk. Comes off as, anyway. 
We next cut to the, uh, the fourth and final farm that was on Barry's list, where Joe and Fred drive up to investigate. And now it, we're noticing outside it's getting very stormy out. Uh, we next see Barry walking into his office to watch coverage of the particle accelerator live on TV. And the rain is coming down so hard that it's actually leaking through the roof. And the reporter here says that despite the inclement weather, the activation will continue as planned. And that uh, reporter is interesting because that is supposed to be uh, Linda Park, who is another comic book reference, who in the comics, she's the future wife of Wally West, if he, if he does appear in the show or in the comics, at least. Yeah, I, I read that. that. That's very interesting. Yeah, that they did that, that amount of uh, research and put her in there. So Barry, in his office here, steps over to his map of the city and rolls it up. Revealing behind it a wall of news clippings. There's photos and there, there's string connecting various items. Uh, and we zoom in on one article from the Central City Tribune with the headline, Doctor Accused of Killing Wife, Nora Allen Dies. If you look at it, it also says that a woman well thought of in her community is killed in what police are calling an unfortunate domestic dispute. Yeah. And there's another article with the headline, Nora Allen Murdered by Husband. Community stunned as local doctor charged in horrendous crime. Uh, we also read in that article that Barry witnessed the act and called 911. However, he said to the operator, someone's trying to kill me, which is odd because you would think he would have recognized his own father. Yeah. So there's a lot of mystery surrounding that incident. But here we learn that, yes, Nora did die in that incident and his father was charged with her murder. A couple other comic book references here, Easter eggs in this article. It references Central City's Police Department's 52nd Division, not New 52 in the DC Universe. Yeah. And also, Channel 52 is referenced, you see in the background quite a bit, which is another reference, which is a TV station. I think it's also an arrow it's referenced as another nod to New 52. Yeah, 52 comes up quite often. Of course, now the New 52 is scrapped, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, so pretty much. Maybe they won't... Do, do that so much anymore. But back then yeah. it was still relevant, yeah. yeah. More relevant. So back on the farm, Joe and Fred find, sure enough, a, a Shelby GT500 in the barn, just as Barry predicted. Just then they are fired upon from the hayloft above, and a shootout ensues. Martin jumps down and tells them that he has a plane to catch. Uh, he shoots Fred and runs outside as a small plane is just about to take off and the Martin brothers fly away. Now back in Barry's office, we hear on the local news that the storm has actually caused a malfunction to the primary cooling system, and now Star Labs is not able to shut down the out-of-control accelerator. So this thing's going crazy, and because of the storm, they can't get it to stop. Now just then, the power to Barry's office shuts off, and he looks outside his window to see a large red explosion just behind the Central City skyline. We see a large wave of bright energy emanating from Star Labs, and it's so big that Joe sees it too, as he looks up to see the Martin Brothers plane being destroyed by it. So, didn't get too far. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at Barry's office, or his lab, he notices various chemicals in his office floating out of the beakers, much like the water in his fish tank as a child. Just then, a large bolt of energy crashes through the skylight above and strikes him, throwing him into his lab equipment and onto the floor. And brilliant all the chemicals that are, are there. This is pretty accurate to how Barry got his powers in the comic. Basically, the one add-on is the particle accelerator accident causing the lightning or affecting the lightning. But okay. in the comics, basically, Barry is hit by lightning in his lab, and he crashes into a wall of chemicals, and that gives him his super speed. 
Okay. So you just in the show you add in that the variable of the um, particle accelerator at the same time as the lightning and same time as the chemicals. Okay, so they they try to be as faithful as possible, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's it's pretty good. And so we see him with a slight amount of energy kind of glowing around his left temple, if you notice that. Yep. As mm-hmm. he's kind of lying there. And we immediately cut to him being rushed into the hospital. Uh, they don't even know how Barry's alive at this point, And they work on him frantically in the emergency room. And he begins to flatline. And as they're trying to revive him, we smash cut to the series title, The Flash. I thought that was kind of interesting because we're well along into the episode. Yeah, yeah. We're about 10 minutes in at this point or so. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I'm curious why Barry was pulling the chain underneath the window when he got struck by lightning. Yeah. Maybe he's just trying to close it more, but it doesn't, I don't understand why he was trying to do that. It almost reminds me of like the creation of Frankenstein's yeah. monster. You, <laughs> you're like pulling the chains to raise the Frank. Up to the, the roof level to get struck, yeah. The, the monster up, yeah. So they don't really explain it. He just kind of runs over when the power goes out and he sees the explosion and starts uh, manipulating the chains, but there's no real showing of what they do, technically. Mm. So, From here, we next cut to nine months later, as Star Labs is now fenced in with signs that say no trespassing, and it's it's pretty desolate around there. Yeah. Uh, inside, we see an area called the Cortex, where Dr. Caitlin Snow and Cisco Ramon are attending to the still comatose Barry Allen. Also, in, um, they guest starred in episodes of Arrow. There are also two characters, if you're aware of the DC Universe, that appear as, as minor characters, I would say, in the DC Universe in the future. But I'm not going to give away in what regard. But yeah, they, they are very much part of the comics. Yes. I like here, they play Lady Gaga's poker face for him. Yeah. Because uh, I guess it said on his Facebook page that he liked it. Yeah, yeah, that's what they found out. And they say that auditory functions are the last sensory faculties to degenerate, so... But Barry quickly sits up with a gasp and awakens, immediately asking where he is, and Caitlin calls for Dr. Wells to get down there. Uh, So they try to calm Barry down and explain to him that he had been struck by lightning. And Barry, noticing his reflection in the mirror, sees that he has actually well-defined abs, which doesn't make sense. You know, if anything, his muscles should be all atrophied. Yeah. So Caitlin, at this point, basically explains that his cells are in a chronic state of uh, regeneration, um, which is Barry Allen side effect of having his speed, basically, that his metabolism is really increased and he's constantly, he can recover from injuries a lot faster than a a normal human um, because of his speed. Now, Dr. Wells enters, telling him that, you know, he had been in a coma for nine months. and, And here we notice, too, that Dr. Wells is in an electric wheelchair. Yep. He wasn't, when we saw him earlier, he walked to the to the microphone on stage, but here he is disabled. Yeah. A little later now, as they tour around the facility, Wells tells Barry that FEMA has categorized Star Labs as a Class 4 hazardous location, and it hasn't been operational since. Uh, and I like here, as they continue down the corridor, they pass a large cage with bent bars. Yep, and we have another uh, comics reference, also appears in the series. Or it says Grodd. Yes. Which my favorite incarnation of Grodd, of course, is in Super Friends. Yes. For more on Gorilla Grodd, please see yes. uh, the episode we did earlier, Sean and I, about Challenge of the Super Friends. He's prominent in that. So Wells also mentions uh, that 17 people died that night of the accident, and many more were injured, including himself. We learned that the accelerator worked as planned for about 45 minutes, then the electron volts became unmeasurable, and the ring under them popped. 
That energy went into the sky, seeded a storm cloud, which in turn created the lightning bolt that struck Barry. So kind of a, a very complicated process yeah. that created that lightning bolt, but that's, yes. that, that's what happened. Now, as Wells continues, we get a flashback to the night of Barry's accident. Uh, we learn that the hospital was having power disruptions every time Barry went into what they thought was cardiac arrest. Uh, in actuality, remember, because he was flatlining, his heartbeat was actually moving too fast for the EKG to register it. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of neat thing they added there. Now, Barry tells them that he feels normal, and, you know, he says, you know, thank you for saving my life, but I have to leave. And I like, he he also asks if he can keep, keep the, uh, the sweatshirt. Yeah, Tom Kavanaugh really is a, an excellent actor, and just his response, yeah, you can keep the sweatshirt. <laughs> and it's very good through the entire series. So we next cut to the uh, the coffee shop known as Jitters. This is where Iris works, and she is, you know, obviously shocked to see Barry walk in. She can't believe that he's still alive, telling him that she just watched him die. Yeah, and Jitters is actually also in the comics. Basically, more of a, a, a newer reference. It's actually in Flash number one, it's first referenced of the New 52 series. Yeah, another just uh, reference that they didn't have to make, but they did. Now, behind them, one of the workers at the coffee shop, she drops a full tray of food and beverages. And as this happens, Barry notices that he is seeing all of this happen in slow motion from his perspective. Which, uh, that's pretty neat, too, because that was, I guess, in one of the... I mean, maybe it was Barry Allen's first appearances, that uh, that's how he notices that his powers yes. have taken yeah. shape. That uh, he he sees somebody drop a tray of food and beverages and sees it in slow motion. Yeah, and he's really confused at how it's... what's going on. The first sign that he has some kind of power at this point. Yeah, amazing attention to uh, detail in the comic references here. So we next cut from here to the Gold City Bank, where a man dressed in black hands the teller a note that reads, This is a robbery. And she asks if this is supposed to be some sort of joke, and he replies, You tell me. He then steps back, holds out his arms, and fog starts to gather around him in the bank. Mm. And uh, we see the large stained glass window above him shatter to the floor. And we learn that this is Clyde Martin, alive and well. Uh, with superpowers now. Yep. So cutting to the police headquarters, Joe is happy to see Barry once again. He gives him a big hug. But uh, this reunion is short-lived as the news comes in that there are two dead in a robbery on the south side. And they learn there that a storm is picking up as well. Uh, we also learn in this scene that Fred Shire, the one that uh, got shot, Joe's partner there, he died that night. Yeah, you see a nice little memorial to him. And now Eddie Thawne, who we also saw earlier, is Joe's new partner. So Barry happens to look over and he sees this apprehended criminal attempt to grab a police officer's gun. But before he can, Barry streaks over and pushes him down onto the desk and streaks back. So Barry didn't even know he had his powers at this point. It was just kind of like the, uh, the impulse to run over and stop him made him go over there and run back. Yeah, I like to look at that criminal. He's a pretty funny-looking guy with the hair and everything. <laughs> Barry tells Iris now that he needs to go outside for some air. You know, something's going wrong with him. He doesn't know what. And once outside, he sees that his hand is shaking extremely fast. Uh, he tests out his ability for a little bit in the parking lot, including smashing himself into the, <laughs> the rear windshield car. of a police car. Yeah, which, how do you explain that? But it must be, you know, you think of it cameras. It's a police <laughs> yes. parking lot, you know. Exactly. You can tell his powers here. He just he can't control him yet, and he's especially especially in the next scene where he just takes off. 
he could have definitely died here. Uh, he he realizes basically something is very different. Mm. And uh, for some reason, he decides he's going to go for it, and he runs down the alley, eventually landing in the back of a laundry truck. So very fortunately, he had a, a soft landing, and he just smiles and says, awesome, uh, as we cut to commercial. Interestingly, we don't see the, the lightning streaks in this scene. We just see a blur go by, you know, I think this is probably one of the only times we don't see him with the trademark lightning. Hmm. Um, maybe because he's not in the Flash outfit, but you still th- you think he would see something go behind him, but it just kind of blurs and, and disappears. So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break, so why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Carrots, who asks that we do not read an ad. Wait, how do they ask? <laughs> And we're back. So when we return, we open on the Ferris air testing facility where Wells and crew attempt to test out Barry's newfound ability. Uh, They equip Barry with a snug suit and a helmet, of course, colored red, and a special two-way headset with a modified camera designed to combat potential sonic booms. And of course, what does this device look like? And of course, it's the Flash logo. Yeah, it's very nice. I love the suit he's wearing. (laughs) Probably the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> a superhero. Skin tight. It looks like a unitard. Interesting about this testing facility, I don't know if you noticed that Ferris Air. Oh, yes. Is actually a Green Lantern nod. Yeah. Where um, Hal Jordan was actually a test pilot for Ferris, Ferris Air. Another comic book nod. So here uh, we see uh, Caitlin is getting Barry ready. Uh, Barry tells her that she doesn't seem to smile much. And uh, she tells him that not only is her once promising career in bioengineering over, her fiancé was killed the night of the explosion. So she doesn't have much to be happy about. Mm. Barry gets ready at the start of the runway, then takes off with a huge burst. And as he continues running, he passes the speed of 200 knots, which they say should be impossible. Uh, As he continues, he starts to get distracted by a flashback to the night his mother died, and... Uh, That throws him off just enough that he crashes into water barrels at the end of the runway, breaking his arm. Pretty gruesome. Yeah. So from here, we cut back to police headquarters, and the teller from the bank tells the police that the robbery was like a hurricane. Uh, We learn that this is now the third robbery in a month preceded by a freak storm. And other witnesses have similar stories and the cell phone footage to back it up. So, anyway, back at Star Labs, uh, Caitlin tells Barry that, yeah, he did fracture his radius, but now, three hours later, it's healed. And that goes back to what you were saying, Sean, about his uh, regenerative abilities now with his super speed. Yep. One of his one of the side effects of his, his powers. Regeneration. Also, he has a... Because his metabolism is so high, it's a common joke, especially in the cartoons of The Flash is, is shown, and all the incarnations of The Flash... He's always eating, or he has to eat constantly almost, or eat a lot, basically. Yeah. They, they mention it in this TV series, too. Because his metabolism is so high, he has to keep on replenishing his energy supply. Yeah, and I remember that was a big thing, too, in the John Wesley ship flash, that, that pilot episode. His blood sugar got too low at one point. Yeah. And actually, there I'm not going to go into spoilers for future episodes of The Flash if you haven't seen it, but they actually talk about that, too, in, the I think, the next episode. Okay. Go into more detail about his, um, his, con- his condition, how he has to... Really being a high-calorie diet. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. No. So, Wells asks Barry why he got distracted out there during the test. Barry tells him that he remembered the night his mother died and seeing this ball of yellow lightning in the shape of a person. 
and that that person is what he thinks killed his mother, not his father. Everybody thought what young Barry described was impossible, but now he wonders if what he saw was a person like him. Yeah. Very interesting. And again, uh, not to go into spoilers, but if you know the history of the Flash, it or the you know it, it's pretty obvious who this is mm-hmm. um, as we go through. Yes. Who this is supposed to be? What character? So a, f- a fast yellow person, yes, should also raise a lot of red flags to yeah. uh, uh, any DC reader. So we next cut back to Jitters, where Eddie meets up with Iris, and we learn that they are dating now. A lot has changed in nine months. Iris still pretends to hate him, though, when her father is around. And of course, as they kiss, Barry just so happens to be standing nearby and sees them. Yeah, he has to keep oh. the secret. I feel bad for Barry. I really I do. Know. Poor Barry. Yeah. So they later take a walk, Iris and Barry, and she asks him to keep things secret. And as they continue, two police cars speed up and start to slide their way sideways, nearly hitting them. And driving past them is Clyde Martin, using that same black Mustang that Joe IDs at the site of the last robbery. They really like Mustangs. Yeah. So Barry runs after him on foot, smashes through the passenger side, and reacts in surprise to see who's driving. Now, before Martin can get to his gun, Barry grabs a wheel, flipping the car over. I mean, this is very heroic. You know, he's not a full-fledged superhero just yet. Just able to jump right in the car. And I thought it was an awesome scene where he can just go so quickly into the passenger seat. And Martin's response on his face where he sees, oh, this guy's sitting right there. Yeah. The trick he uses other times in the series, too. And remember that Barry knows what Clyde Martin looks like because he had seen those uh, those photos you know, when he was doing the crime scene investigation earlier. He identified earlier. who it was, yeah. 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 So the the car flips over, and as Martin attempts to walk away, Barry calls out to him by name, and he stops in his tracks. Martin then turns around, puts out his arms, and creates a shroud of thick fog that surrounds him and Barry, and it's so thick that Martin is able to get away, but a driver crashes into their tipped-over car, nearly hitting Barry. And so from there we go to a commercial break. Now, when we return, we see the, that the body of that driver is being wheeled away as rescue crews are on the scene. So it didn't go too well for them. No. Uh, Joe walks over to Barry and Iris and yells at her to run the other way when she sees danger. Now, Barry pulls Joe aside to tell him that Clyde Martin is actually the guy that caused this, even though everybody thinks that he died. And, uh, oh, by the way, he can also control the weather now. So Joe listens to Barry for a moment, but he does not believe him no. at all, you know. He tells him that nobody can control the weather, just like there was no lightning storm inside of his house the night his mother died, and it's just his brain helping him accept what he sees. Yeah. Kind of harsh, but Joe feels as though Barry kind of needs a reality check here. Yeah, yeah. He's probably just concerned because he just went through this traumatic experience being in a coma mm. for, you know, nine months. Probably, you know, he's just... You know, not convinced that Barry is still okay at this point. Now, just a little bit about the Martin brothers. Uh, In the comics, the Martin brothers discovered the ability to control the weather. They actually did have this power in the comics. Uh, Clyde's brother, Mark, became the the villain known as Weather Wizard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another obscure side point here. The Weather Wizard was the villain in the failed 1997 Justice League pilot. Oh, was he really? Not, well, I, I shouldn't say that it, it was kind of. It, it was actually the Weatherman who was based very much on Weather Wizard. Because that show had no rights whatsoever, they weren't able to use the name. <laughs> the fact they were able to use the Flash in that is still mind 
bending to me at this point. Oh, that's right, they did. Yeah, but it was what Martian Manhunter was the leader of the Justice yeah. League. Yeah, Green Lantern, which was a more like a, an uh, an Aqua Lantern. Yeah, Aqua Lantern. <laughs> and the Flash, the most horrible outfits. Uh, we, Sean and I have been debating on whether to do an episode on that, if we can even stand watching it. Uh, we might. We'll I see. have. I've watched it or tried to. I can't get through it. <laughs> it's rough. It really it, is. It's it's on Quark level bad. Ugh. Don't say that. Which is the new level for bad. Yes. Quark. The bar has been lowered. Yep. So anyway, back to the episode. Uh, Joe tells Barry that he never asked anything in return for him for taking care of him all these years. But what he does ask now is that for once in his life, he just sees things how they really are. And, and Barry just walks away. You know, Barry knows what happened. Yeah. But just as he does, <laughs> if he just waited a couple seconds... Eddie arrives with a police sketch based on witness testimony and shows Joe that, sure enough, the sketch looks just like Clyde Martin. Mm. Uh, we next see Barry storm into Star Labs, asking Wells and crew if he was the only one affected by the explosion. You know, because why does Clyde Martin have powers now when he didn't before? And same thing with him. And Wells tells him, well, they don't know for sure. Uh, Barry demands a better explanation of what happened that night. And Wells must have been prepared for this moment because he had an animation of the accelerator failure. Yeah, he had the PowerPoint presentation ready to go. Yeah, queued right up. <laughs> right on his tablet. <laughs> okay, now this is where it kind of gets a little complicated. He shows Barry that the accident was actually an interdimensional rupture that unleashed unknown energies into their world, including antimatter, dark energy, and X elements. And they've been trying to monitor who or what has been exposed around the city. And they've been searching for other people like Barry. And these are people they call metahumans. And uh, this ties into the Speed Force, which is another thing in the, mm -hmm. in the comics. And yeah, it's uh, a little more complicated. But fortunately, the show kind of gives it to us yeah, they don't a little go bit too, at a time. They don't go too crazy into it. And Speed Force is a big part later in the series. But yeah, it's it's very complicated. My mom is a big fan of this series, you know, is confused by that. So I'm glad they didn't go too deep into it with the pilot. Yeah. Because it would have turned people off big time, I think. Yeah. They kind of dumbed it down a bit. Interesting in this scene, too. One thing about Cisco is he's wearing different t-shirts all the time. Like, in every scene, he's wearing a different t-shirt, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Like, a, a funny comic or something on it. This one, especially this episode, is really um, referencing the Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this shirt he has on right now is the um, Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock... Which, watch The Big Bang Theory if you don't know what that is. But it, I thought that was interesting. Uh, he's wearing that t-shirt. And later on in the episode, too, he wears a Bazinga t-shirt. Yes. Which, of course, is from The Big Bang Theory. If you watch The Big Bang Theory, Sheldon is a big fan of The Flash. Um, so that's why I have this cross-reference to it. Yeah, that's funny. He wears The, the Flash t-shirt quite, quite a bit. Quite a bit, yeah. And if yeah. he goes to Comic-Con or he always wants to be The Flash, so... <laughs> So here, Barry tells them that he saw a metahuman that does exist, and he's a very dangerous bank robber who they must stop. And Wells tells Barry, well, you know, that's a job for the police. They need to focus on their research, and they can't risk losing everything just because Barry wants to go out and play hero. Mm. Barry could be a guinea pig at this point, and who knows what secrets lie inside his, his body now because of, you know, his mutation, I guess you can call it, or his, his change. Hmm. Wells even tells him he's not a hero, he's just a young man who was struck by lightning. And so Barry is done with him now, he just leaves Star Labs, and he begins to run. And as he does, we get another flashback to the night his mother died. 
Uh, here we see young Barry running back to his house, where by now the police and an ambulance have arrived. Uh, as Barry approaches the front steps, he sees his father being arrested. And his father keeps telling Barry not to enter the house. But as he does, Barry walks towards the living room and he sees his mother's body. Here also we see Joe saying to another officer that his daughter is best friends with their kid. Yeah. So we got another you know, glimpse at the, the history behind all of these characters. So they're aware of each other. The families know each other before this, this happens. Yeah. Yeah. So we see why exactly Joe was willing to take Barry in. And who's letting this kid walk up to an active crime scene? Yeah. <laughs> no, no police tape that I saw. And, no. and lift the um, the tarp over the you know on the body off. I mean, no one's watching, and it's like, oh, it's a poor kid. Yeah. So anyway, we cut back to present day, and Barry is continuing to run, and he stops about five miles outside of Starling City, and we see that his jacket has caught fire. A nice little touch there. I forget where Starling City is supposed to be in relation to the U.S. map, but he's ran quite a distance. If it, I think it's a ways away. It's it's definitely something you have to travel to by train. I know in future episodes when characters go back and forth, it's not just a quick car ride to Starling City. So he was running for a while. Now here, we get in voiceover Barry telling us, So that's my story. I've spent my whole life searching for the impossible never imagining that I would become the impossible. So as he finished this sentence, we see that he is on top of a building speaking with Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow. Mm. So a nice little crossover here, like right in the pilot. Yep. And uh, Arrow asks why he came there, that, you know, he didn't run 600 miles just to say hi to a friend. Oh, so, so yeah. we get the reference 600 miles away. Okay. There we go. Uh, Barry wants to do more, but he doesn't know if he's a hero. He tells Arrow that, he doesn't know if he can actually be a vigilante. And Arrow tells him that, no, he wasn't just someone struck by lightning. He was actually chosen. And he can be better than a vigilante because he can inspire people in a way that he, Arrow, could never do. Yeah. And uh, he says, <laughs> the Arrow says he can be a guardian angel of his city and save people, wait for it, in, in a, a flash. flash. Yep. <laughs> So Arrow tells him to take his own advice and wear a mask before leaping from the rooftop and swinging away. It's uh, very funny because if you watch the crossover of the Supergirl Flash episode and the Supergirl episode, mm -hmm. they talk about, you know, his name. And Cat, um, who's one of the characters, uh, I forget her last name. She's in Superman, too. She's a Superman character. Is talking about, you know, they, they see the Flash in this episode, in that Supergirl episode, and they what they call him, the Blur, or whatever names. <laughs> kind of like the whole Arrow thing mm -hmm. in the future episodes of The Flash, what they call him. And Barry Allen suggests The Flash, and she basically, you know, says, oh, it sounds like a, a pervert's name, like someone who would be a Flasher. <laughs> so that was a pretty funny reference if you watch that episode. So, yeah, I like your Arrow kind of swings away with like a grappling hook arrow or something. Or does he use an arrow? I can't remember. He jumps off the building and he, he does go on the side of the building, yeah. With a yeah, he kind of swings away. Yeah. And, and Barry, now inspired, speeds home. And, and as he runs away, we see that each of them are impressed with each other's abilities. But, yeah. come on, Barry's cool. is much better. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're trying to make it seem like they're equals. It's like, no way. I mean, Oliver Queen is kind of cool, but he's, at best, a well-trained, and sorry for any uh, Green Arrow fans out there, but he's a well-trained archer, you know. He has no magic human powers or anything. Barry's right, he's like Batman. Cooler. Yeah, he's he's definitely a Batman, yeah. 
So from, from these two heroes parting, we cut to commercial. And when we return, Barry tells Caitlin and, and Cisco at Star Labs that he's been going over unsolved cases from the past nine months, and there's been a shocking increase in unexplained deaths and missing people. And he believes that there are metahumans responsible for this, and he asks for their help in catching Martin and anyone else that's out there like him. And Cisco tells him, well, if they're really going to team up to stop crime, he has something that might help, and we next see a suit that he has been working on to help firefighters. It will help Barry because it's heat and abrasive resistant. That will help him, of course, moving at high velocity speeds. And in addition to this, it has built-in sensors so they can monitor his vitals and stay in contact with him. And, uh, of course, what color is this suit as well? Of course it's red. <laughs> Why not? And this is the, the Flash costume we've, we, uh, we know him to wear now. Yeah, yeah, it's... It does change somewhat. I'm not going to give anything away, but this is the first iteration of the the Flash. This is the season one Flash outfit, yeah. So using the equipment available to Star Labs, Caitlin is able to monitor weather anomalies and discovers that in one spot at a farm, atmospheric pressure had dropped in a matter of seconds. So, of course, we know what that is. Yeah. So cutting to that farm, we see that Joe and Eddie are going in to investigate because this is the last place that the Martin brothers happen to be hiding out. Inside the barn, they find Clyde Martin standing there, and he tells them that on the night of his accident, after the plane went down, he woke up on the ground alive. And after realizing his newfound abilities, he feels like God. You would think that they would have searched the area <laughs> around the plane wreckage. Yeah. Found well, maybe them, but, yeah. Uh, with Fred getting shot, maybe they were... Too and, concerned with that, you know? And the particle accelerator exploding, I guess, was kind of more of a concern. <laughs> so as Joe and Eddie move in on him, Martin makes a gust of wind blow them back. Uh, Clyde yells, you know, you think your guns can stop God? And and Joe replies, why would God need to rob banks? Which is pretty you're funny. Right, you're right, I'm thinking too small is what he said. Yeah, exactly. And so Martin now creates a twister around himself. You know, this is something he hadn't tried, I guess, with his powers. And it no knocks Joe and Eddie to the ground as they try to get away. Just as a large piece of debris is just about to hit them, a red flash deflects it away and we see Barry wearing Cisco's suit for him as he stands up and pushes the debris off of him. So now Martin inside of the Twister is kind of like heading towards the city from this farm. And you see that Barry decides to get rid of the, the mask that was on the uh, suit. Yeah. The, the fire suppressant or the, the gas mask, I guess you could say, the smoke mask. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that part was on off. the front. Yeah. yeah. And now we kind of get the, the Flash costume we're used to. Yeah, That's yeah. right. I forgot about that. And so uh, Cisco, who's back at Star Labs with Caitlin, he tells him on the earpiece that if this twister isn't stopped, it could potentially become an F5, which is, you know, the highest category of, of tornado. Yep. So Barry comes up with the idea that he will unravel the tornado by running around it in the opposite direction. But he's told that he would have to run like 700 miles an hour to do that, and that might kill him. But he looks over, and seeing Joe there, he knows he must try to do something. So Barry begins to run around Martin in the opposite direction, but after a moment, Martin sees him there and kind of strikes him with lightning. Pushes him out of the, tor yeah, out of the path. And the idea to do this, this is actually from the comics as well. Flash has done this before, running in the opposite direction. Flash number 190, yep. So Barry kind of tells him it's it's just too fast, but Wells now picks up the headset, and he tells Barry that he can do it. Uh, he goes on to admit that even though he's responsible for all of this, Barry has the power to stop it. 
Barry now has the confidence, he's now re-energized, and he tries running once again around the tornado. And this time, he is successful in counteracting those high winds, and, and Marta now stands there uh, with his gun drawn <laughs> on the exhausted Barry. <laughs> you know, he's still a, a petty criminal. Yeah. And I like, too, in Star Labs, they kind of have, like, a 3D representation of the tornado with a red yeah, dot streaking yeah. around, around it. it. Yeah, how do they get that, that information? <laughs> It's uh, it's Cisco's uh, sensors, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get the best computer equipment in the world uh. to monitor this stuff. But Martin has his gun drawn on Barry, but just before he can fire, he's shot by Joe. And Barry reports to the crew at Star Labs that he is okay, causing everyone to smile, even Caitlin. Mm. And so uh, Joe walks up to Barry, which, by the way, he's now completely unmasked. Yep, so he's the first person to know besides the uh, Star Lab crew. That Barry is the Flash. Yeah. Or was going to be the Flash. And he looks at him with complete surprise, uh, falling to his knees even, as we cut to commercial. Just an absolute shock. It was pretty funny. So when we return from commercial, it's now morning, and we see that uh, Joe and Barry are there with the police crews at the damaged farm. Uh, Joe apologizes to Barry for not believing in him and calling him crazy, chasing the impossible. And he even says, you know, you did see something the night your mother died. And your father is innocent. Really, he just went and made a complete 180. Yeah, totally turned around is, is his belief. <laughs> but Joe makes Barry promise here that he will not tell Iris about his abilities because he wants to make sure that she is safe. And Barry agrees. You know, this is something we often see in superhero stories where... The superhero doesn't tell their family or their love interest that uh, they have their powers, even though they want to, because it, it, it keeps them safe. So we next cut to a prison where Barry is visiting his father, Henry. This was, you know, of course, John Wesley Shipp's character. Uh, here, Henry once again calls him Slugger, and Barry tells him that he got into another fight. And this time he won. This is kind of funny callback to the, uh, the opening scenes. Yeah, yep. So Barry says to his father, you know, you know that I know you're not responsible for, you know, my mother's death. And, of course, Henry tells Barry, you believing in me is all that I need. Yeah. You know, he he really is innocent. I think they really make us aware of this. Yeah, they're pushing that point pretty pretty hard. Yeah, it's not just Barry kind of holding on to this belief. It's it's true. He's truly innocent of this crime. Yeah. Yeah. And we see, I mean, obviously, because of the, the, the street going around that, you know, as the audience, we know he's innocent because of that. Yeah. And he, you know, was there with Barry before he was taken out of the house, so... Yeah, something strange happened that night, but there, there is still uh, a mystery there. So, Barry tells him that he thinks he, he has a way of finding and stopping whoever killed his mother. And, and Henry tells Barry, stop worrying and, and just let it go, live your life. Barry says that he finally thinks he can now, before he was stuck in one place, but now he's different and he has friends that can help him. And as Barry talks, we, we next see a montage of scenes. Uh, first, we see Eddie kissing Iris, who sees the news report about the mysterious tornado at the farm on television. Uh, we then see Cisco and Caitlin working on the Flash's costume. Uh, Caitlin asks why the logo is shaped like a lightning bolt. So it's not boring. Yeah, so it's not boring. <laughs> like, okay, I can live with that. Henry says he's proud of him, and they finish their conversation by saying that they each love each other. And we cut back to the opening scene of the episode as the Flash is running around the city streets. Barry once again tells us, my name is Barry Allen and I'm the fastest man alive. Then he saves a man on a bicycle from being hit by a cab and continues, A friend recently gave me the idea for a new name. 
and something tells me it's going to catch on. And once again, we get the title of the series, The Flash, across the screen. Yeah. That's one thing I love that they didn't, you know, go into this whole long back and forth about what the name should be and this and that. Mm. It's The Flash from Episode 1. Unlike, you know, Arrow, which took four seasons to get actually to be the Green Arrow, which always was. So I really appreciate that. That's one thing I noticed. that They embraced that right away. Yeah. But uh, the episode is not over yet. Mm. Very interesting. So we cut back to Star Labs at night, where Harrison Wells places his hand on a spot of the concrete wall. There's really nothing there. These, these corridors are just plain Cement, gray. Yeah. yeah. Puts his hand there. And it opens, revealing a hidden room. Inside, Wells stands from his wheelchair, removes his glasses, and places his hand on some sort of electronic pedestal. It then lights up, projecting from it the front page of the Central City Citizen, which is the the local newspaper, or I don't know, maybe it was a website now, uh, dated April 25th, 2024, which has the headline, Flash missing vanishes in crisis. Mm. I love this scene. I'm really surprised that they did it because it just, just like the opener where they showed right away what this season was going to revolve into with the whole mystery of the the blur that would kill his mother, Barry's mother. I'm surprised they they went so quickly into on the pilot, Mm. not only revealing this newspaper, which is a huge reveal, but also showing that Harrison Wells isn't who he says he is. Yeah. By showing that he can actually walk. So he starts to question, like, what is this room? Is it something in the room that's making him walk? What's what's his deal? Why does it look like a Braille room? You know, that sort of thing. Who yeah. is he? And why, how does he have access to this future technology that can actually, you know, show him the future? I, I thought this paper was extremely interesting. You know, first, the, the small details at the bottom uh, left-hand corner, it talks about a Wayne Tech Queen Incorporated uh, merger mm. complete. So, Batman reference. Batman reference, and of course, an Oliver Queen reference, which I thought was really cool to put the Batman reference in there, or the yeah. Bruce Wayne reference, I guess you can say. And there was a lot of talk when I first watched this episode about, you know, as it talks about Flash missing, vanishes in crisis. People said, was that refer to the crisis on Infinite Earth, which is a huge series in the DC world? And it, another clue about that, I did some research on this, the red skies vanish. Yes, that's another headline. Another headline in this paper is a direct reference, basically, to the Crisis on Infinite Earth or Flashpoint, which is another big comic event, which goes into the whole multiverse, and it's way too complicated to explain here in this venue, because we'll be here for four hours. <laughs> but that is a, that Red Skies is a direct reference to those events. Yeah. Do more research if you're interested in, in exactly how it applies. But yeah, so... This is what we talked about in the beginning of the episode. I really think that they're going to be shooting towards a a Flashpoint type storyline. And I think that's how they're going to, this is my prediction, how they're going to incorporate the whole Supergirl universe into the Flash and Arrow. Oh, okay. That's that's my prediction. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, that would be a good way of doing it. Why they did that in the first place, having a separate universe for Supergirl in that episode, you know, I remember talking to you when it happened and I was baffled. I'm like, why would they do that? You know, why would they, why? Because you know they're in the same universe eventually. So that was kind of, and obviously the reason I'm I'm guessing was because there are two different networks. They didn't want to have them too close. Mm. But especially now that they're both on CW and in the same Arrowverse family. I think this is how they're going to do it. They're going to incorporate it. Maybe they weren't intending to do that, 
but I think they're going to do a whole multiverse event down the road sometime mm-hmm. where it pulls all these characters into the same universe. So That would make sense. And they might have to kind of scale back Supergirl for future seasons. You know, they may not be able to have the same cast. You know, CBS budgets are much larger, especially, you know, primetime budgets, much larger than CW budgets. So they there might have to be a scale back, maybe uh, in a little bit of a different setting. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. But yeah, great point about Red Skies and everything. That really points to that Crisis of Infinite Earths. Yeah. And going to the comics, at least, this is where Barry Allen dies. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of saves the day by sacrificing his life. And that's not to give anything away because... You know, we're kind of led in a different path in this show. We're kind of shown that this is where everything is heading towards, but we really don't know if something's going to change. Yeah, exactly. It's hard for these creators to use comic storylines for TV plot lines, because all you got to do is like, oh, well, how did this story go? And you could see where the show's going. So they have to change some things up, you know? Yeah, it will be be interesting to see. It will be definitely different. Definitely read about Flashpoint. It isn't. There's actually a movie, a cartoon movie about Flashpoint. It's definitely a very cool series. It took place in 2011, and it brought on this whole New 52 stuff, basically. Infinite Crisis is another thing that is kind of related to it, but kind of not. It's very, it's very confusing. I don't understand it 100% myself, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I'm a huge DC fan. Because it is so complicated. The multiverse has gone back, I believe, until to the 60s or yeah. before. And as I explain it to my mom, it's basically a way of the comic book writers to explain the differences in origin stories of these characters. Like why there's so many different minor variations of the Superman origin story, for example. Or all the characters, really. Yeah. You know, Wonder it goes back to Wonder Woman, it goes back to Batman to a point, it goes back to Green Lantern, because they were so different back in the, the 40s when a lot of these comics started. So why were the, their origins so different? And that's why they came up with the whole multiverse and the creation of these parallel Earths where some of these other characters existed, like the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick yeah. existed. And that's why he's different than Barry Allen's Flash and this and that, so... It's very, very in-depth. It's very confusing. Wikipedia has a very interesting page. on. They actually talk about all the universe, all the Earths um, in the DC universe. Oh, wow. And then, you know, in, in their infinite wisdom of DC, they, you know, try to destroy these universes to make one. And they split them up again. And then they bring them back to one. It's very up and down confusing. So Yeah, it's, it's like a good way of, like, reorganizing your comics universe. Or a reboot, yeah. basically, if you want to do yeah. a reboot. And Marvel exactly. kind of does the same thing. They all, yeah, or just recently. Yeah, because they, they run out of, I hate to say it, but they kind of run out of ideas to a point. They want to make things fresh again, so they do this reboot. But comic book fans or fans in general of the movies or whatever aren't going to just take that lying down. So you have to explain the backstory of it. So uh, One thing, too, I wanted to bring out about this final scene is when Wells walks in, you, you kind of mentioned it there by saying Braille Room. It looks like like Braille on yeah. the walls, like giant raised bubbles, but but very specifically lined up like Braille. Yeah. Now, I went crazy looking this up on the internet, and uh, from what I've found, it really does not correspond with anything. No, no. They never reference it. <laughs> this room is referenced again, of, of course. Yeah. But they never reference that it has any kind of significance that there's bumps on it. Yeah, I saw someone had posted 
something about like you can buy this as a texture for your wall. But from what people have tried to uh, calculate, you know, it just doesn't correspond with anything. I don't know. I mean, that's so specific. I wonder if there is some sort of code there, but uh, if they did put something in there, it's beyond my comprehension. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I can't read Braille <laughs> no, by looking here. at it, so it's going to have to be a mystery until they decide to change it up. I, I, yeah, because it's like, as a, as a fellow fan of Futurama, you and I both know that there was an alien language, then there was an alien language too, which yeah. was a little more complicated, so, you know... We're just kind of trained whenever we see something like this to be like, oh, what's this, you know? What does this say? I wouldn't be surprised if it meant something, or maybe they'll explain, even if it's just a little Easter egg, if Mm. if someone deciphers it. Because, you know, this show is very well thought out. They're not definitely not going by the seat of their pants with The Flash, or Arrow, or Supergirl, really. Yeah. They they know what they're doing. Like I said, they they knew what the season finale was going to be before they wrote the first episode, or when they wrote the first episode, so... They know what they're getting into, so I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it was all planned out. I think they probably, again, had to change th- some things up with the whole Supergirl going to the CW now, but, uh, you know, I don't think too much. I think it stays the course pretty much. In Legends of Tomorrow? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I know we did an episode, or episode was done on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. I enjoyed the show. I, I do enjoy the show. I think it it's another one to watch, just because the characters are very much DC, and they're all... Very cool, relevant characters to the DC Universe, so. And they're all from Arrow and Flash. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, they all origin start there, basically. I mean, they have other origin points also. Mm -hmm. Like Hawkman Mm -hmm. and Hawkgirl, they kind of appear in the Flash, but, you know, are obviously other DC characters. Yeah. It Um, just, it gets a little tricky when you mix time travel into it. And so we, we, you know, and going through those, uh, actually it was two episodes that made up the pilot. It was two parts. We did two episodes. Uh, we kind of went into some of the flaws in that logic. Uh, but overall, you know, it's a fun watch. It you is. Know, just like all of these shows. That's one. I, I definitely finished that first series also, or season. And it started off kind of slow for me, but near the end it really picked up. And it was really good. I just, I just love the characters. I love, I, I, again, these really open up some new characters. I was really never a, a big Flash fan until I watched the show, and now he's probably my favorite member of the Justice League at this point. To be honest with you. Oh wow. He surpassed Green Lantern a little bit as my favorite Justice League member, just because he, you know, you think, well, what can he do for powers? He can run really fast, but, and as the series brings out, if you watch uh, the Flash, he can use his powers in other ways too, more creative ways to solve problems. So. But yeah. another character that I didn't really know much about was Firestorm. And I read some Firestorm. And I really like that character now, too. And Legends of Tomorrow, well, started off in The Flash, but Legends of Tomorrow really opened my eyes for that one, too. So, yeah, definitely some very interesting things. And it helps you appreciate the universe more fully and gets you more involved in the comics, which me and Scott are huge comic nerds. So it's <laughs> never a bad thing. No. They're, they're great characters, and Berlanti and Kreisberg have done a great job with them. You know, I, you know, at one point it looked like Marvel was starting to lead the way. You know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was was uh, tied into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and, you know, I think we all kind of felt that was the right way of doing things. Uh, they also have those Netflix shows, which also have that shared universe, and it seemed as though they were really leading the way in that, that regards, but... Man, this Berlanti verse or whatever they're calling it yeah. is uh, is really great. And like like we talked about earlier, I wish it tied into the movies because this is where you want our story centered. I think that's where they really screwed up. Where, like you mentioned, the Marvel shows are 
really tied into the movies quite a bit, which is which is awesome. The characters are same actors, same you know situations. Agents of Shield. I'm just glad they do the the show so well, even though they're not tied into the films or will be tied into the films in the future. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job with the, the series Arrowverse, better than Marvel, which I I don't mind Marvel. I do like Marvel comics, but. I I am jealous as a DC fan that they do so well with the the movie part of things, the feature films, compared yeah. to unfortunately compared to DC, which seems to always flub it. Um, unfortunately, not accounting the first Superman movies and of course you know, the first Batman movie, in my opinion, <laughs> the the Adam West one. Oh uh, yeah, that one was great too. Well, anything, <laughs> come on, anything Batman '66 is is beautiful. Oh yeah, no argument um, here. But I'm talking about the Michael Keaton Batman '89. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was, was awesome. And, of course, I think there's a Wonder Woman movie coming out next year. And we'll see what happens with the Justice League stuff in the future. So yeah. hopefully they can spin it around a little bit and at least kind of catch up with, with Marvel in that respect. Yeah, they got time to fix it. So, well, you know, I'm as a Marvel fan, I, I still am rooting for this DC Universe, you know, because the competition is a good thing for the fans. You yeah. Know? So I, I'd like to see it. And I, I enjoy these characters, too. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're really awesome. But the television universe has really set the bar high. I, I don't envy the position that uh, DC is in right now, trying to juggle all these stories together. Now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't wait for next season of The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow to see what happens. How they, like you said, able to incorporate all these things together. And I think that Flash is really going to be the keystone of that. No pun intended, mm-hmm. the Keystone City. <laughs> Very nice. Um, <laughs> I, I really think it's going to be the main point uh, with the whole Flashpoint. I think it's going to bring them all together. I, I can't wait to see it. So Looking forward to it. And if anyone wants to catch up, all the Arrow episodes are on Netflix. All the Flash episodes are on Netflix. And Netflix also, I believe I read that they're doing an exclusive thing with CW for future episodes. That I think is going to be the whole Netflix push to get the series after they end, the, se- the season ends, oh. right on Netflix. You know, usually now it takes like six months or so to get the season, the series on the next updated season on. Yeah. I think they made a deal with Netflix where basically not too long after the season finale of these shows, like days, they're going to be on Netflix. Wow. So, that's great. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Well, looking forward to that. So there's there's time to catch up. Definitely. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your fastest 40-yard dash, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Sean, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah. I would like to plug our collective YouTube site, which is Three Blind Mice. If you search under channels, where Scott and I have done YouTube Minecraft videos in the past. Hopefully we'll get in the future. And also my son and myself are doing a lot of Minecraft videos on there now. And also his channel, which is EnderCoder, E-N-D-E-R-C-O-D-E-R, which he's also posting some Minecraft videos on now. So please support him. Also, the excellent podcast uh, to promote today is uh, Comic Geek Speak. I think Scott's listened to that one in the past. Oh, yeah. Um, very good, especially if you want to catch up on... They really do an excellent review panel by panel of like Infinite Crisis and some of the, the gauntlet stuff for Marvel. So if you're interested in, in knowing their thoughts and exactly the details of these comics, they do a, I mean, they're in the thousands of podcasts they've done now. So definitely check them out, Comic Geek Speak. And also, finally, please get out there and play uh, Pokemon Go. 
Uh, Nintendo. <laughs> be safe, though. Yeah, be safe. You know, it's many people may have not heard of it so far. So just go in your app stores and try not to get hit by a car. <laughs> Pokemon Go, everyone. Uh, very nice. Well, I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There, my name is also MC and Friends, and there I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations, and you can uh, check my stuff out there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Uh, It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can now be found on TuneIn Radio, and we are also on the Google Play Music app. So check us out there. And also, if you have a Roku, I found that if you download the TuneIn Radio channel, you can also find us on there because we are on TuneIn Radio, and you can set us as a uh, favorite and you can listen to all of our episodes uh, right after they are posted, right on your television. Very cool, yeah. Yeah. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Good night, everyone. Oh, come on, give me something better than that. Wow. Flash related. I'm Barry Allen, I'm the fastest man alive. <laughs>